HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're looking at factors that will shape our food world in 2019. We start with trend predictions and how media covers them. A website could theoretically devote all their coverage to these viral trends and, and get all sorts of hits. That's not a way to build sustainable readerships, just as it's not a way to build you know, sustainable restaurants. We report on a big change coming and how street meat will be served. On January 1st, a ban on plastic foam went into effect in New York City. And we round out the episode with a story about using gene editing to create the spicy tomato of the future. At first, it sounds like a, like a gimmick or like something that you would do for fun. The truth is, there is a real value behind it. It's not too late to make your resolution. Subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode this year. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Brooklyn. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director here at HRN, and I'm here with Katie Mosman Wadler, our executive director. Hey, Kat. And Hannah Forden, our program manager. Happy Thursday, Kat. Happy Thursday to both of you. Um, yeah, welcome to Happy Hour. We're here. We also have Amanda Wang in the booth. And a very, very special guest today. Kat, you want to introduce our guest? I would love to. Our guest um, is a man who creates very, very delicious things to eat. His name <laughs> is Art Pollard. He is the founder of Amano Chocolate. Welcome. Good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on today. Absolutely. I, uh, I got to have a sneak preview before uh, the year end, and I see that you have brought uh, a full-on library of chocolate here, which I'm very excited to talk about. Um, we a veritable have to, stack. It is a yeah. stack. It's a colorful stack. Like it, I'm thinking library because it looks like the stacks. It does look like beautiful books. It does. I'll take a shelf. There you um, go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to help you read that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, first, we have just a couple of short announcements from Heritage Radio Network headquarters. 
Um, the, the main thing that you may have noticed in our emails of late is that we just launched a Hall of Fame. So this is part of our 10th anniversary celebration. Um, basically, we're letting all of the shows who've been part of the network submit people who've been the top guests on the shows who have embodied HRN's philosophy and mission to improve equity, sustainability, and deliciousness in the food world. So um, every month we'll be adding to this Hall of Fame list. You can check it out at heritageradionetwork.org slash Hall of Fame. Go figure. Um, and so we're we're going to jump into a couple of quick headlines and then we will move on to our interview with Art. Uh, so I guess I'm first on the headlines too. Well, okay. <laughs> on this week's main course, OG moderator Emily gives hard hitting stories of food in the news to panelists and they discuss their attitudes and opinions in the weekly based segment. This is a very well structured show. Now you might remember from the early days of the main course, it was kind of rambling, <laughs> um, but they've really um, like kind of bucked up on the structure. So this week they're talking about chocolate. Hey, we love chocolate. Also, uh, some topics you might have seen in the New York Times, complaining at restaurants, spirit foods, and CBD. Also appearing on this week's main course is Nate Hodge. He's the co-founder and head chocolate maker at Rocka Chocolate. There's a theme. Yep. Uh, it's that kind of week. I guess it's February, too. So February is a chocolatey month. Uh, Rocka is a nationally distributed bean-to-bar chocolate company based in Red Hook. And Nate also appears as a featured subject in the film Setting the Bar, which is a documentary that focuses on the leading role that Raka has taken in the craft chocolate movement's focus on sustainable sourcing. Next up, you probably know who Elon Musk is, but yes. do you know Kimball Musk? Kimball is Elon's brother, and he's on this week's Farm Report with Lisa Held. He's the co-founder and executive chairman of three companies that approach food and agriculture from different angles. Lisa talks to him about his approach to local food systems, the role t- of technology in farming, and how indoor growing systems might impact the environment and food safety, and more. And on the subject of urban farming, on this week's Tech Bites, it's all about vertical farms. Um, sitting down with host Jen Liuzzi is Mark Oshima. He is the founder and CMO of Aero Farms, which is a company that makes vertical farms. Jennifer and Mark talked about how Aero Farms patented growing systems will optimize growth cycles and deliciousness for the future. Mark also discusses his work on the recently formed FDA Romaine Advisory Food Safety Task Force and the school farm inside the Phillips Academy Charter School in New York, New Jersey. And we're super excited. We're taking a field trip to Aero Farms in two weeks. So we'll definitely report back on that. They are in Newark, New Jersey. You never thought that would be a place for delicious greens. I'll only go to Newark for greens. Yes. Yes. I mean, maybe, maybe pizza, maybe. And if I um, flight, if I have to, <laughs> but I try not to. A fun fact also about Marco Shima, he's a co-chair of Chef's Collaborative, which um, HRN's been a part me- proud media partner of Chef's Collab now for uh, quite a number of years, and they do really, really amazing work in the food space. Um, you should definitely check them out, especially if you're a chef. Um, they have amazing resources and a really incredible national network. I'm fascinated by the Romaine Advisory Food Saf- Safety Task Force, Crazy that one specific lettuce needs a whole FDA force. Well, it's been a problematic green <laughs> recently on the uh, food poisoning front, so perhaps it does need a little extra attention paid. Luckily, our government's back open to start in- inspecting romaine again. And all the other foods that they were just not yeah. inspecting anymore. So uh, I guess uh, something to be thankful for. That's true. Yeah. That's true. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, those were our headlines. It was a real roller coaster. It has, it's, it's got its ups and downs. We didn't even talk about the State of the Union or anything. Oh, gosh. I, I, I just can't. Let's not. It's fine. We're going to talk about chocolate. From the Super Bowl to State of the Union, this week has just been like 
kind of the worst <laughs> and just so boring. I mean, cats, cats is probably the most serious football fan. That not I, anymore. I know, but not now anymore. She's, she's anti-football. I just don't like it anymore. She's giving up on the sport. I can't. You know, I'm, I'm like from New England, so I, I have a pretty mixed <laughs> bag of acquaintances like where they came down on the Super Bowl. Um, I did try to watch it because my friends told me to, and they were not making the case for why one should watch football. I was like, what is happening? Nothing is happening. It's always like so, there's someone watching it for football. There's someone watching it for commercials. And then there's someone watching it just because they're like, oh, I want to eat some good food. And then there's someone who's just not watching it at all. There, there's more of those. That, there will be more of those next year. Uh-huh. Because, Join me. because Join me. the game was bad. The commercials were really weird. Let's talk about the commercials for a second, though, because there are obviously a lot of beer commercials. And uh-huh. there was the one beer commercial where one of the big beer brands called out the others for using corn syrup in their beer. And... Not only was this a really weird stance for any of them to take and bring up, because it's like just, it's really just becoming then a commercial for craft breweries, but also it like pissed off the Corn Growers Association. Ruffled some corn silks. Yeah. Good good one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I was thinking about that for like four seconds before I said it. That was very good. Um, But no, the corn lobby is really upset. They tweeted like 30 seconds later, we're disappointed in you. Here's the thing. I think that the time has passed where defending corn syrup is a worthwhile activity, <laughs> right? Am well, I they right? actually weren't trying to. They were like, we would like to tell you the benefits of corn. Like, they weren't really saying, like, corn syrup's great, but they were like, corn is the thing we should be eating more of. It's all very slimy. Drinking more of. And, yeah. Um, you know, It's just that corn is not a traditional, well, some would argue with that, but it, corn is not one of the original beer grains. It's used as a cheap replacement for malt. It, it's just a carbon source at that point. Yeah. Right. Or sh- a sugar. Yeah. Like we use um, but yeah, pretty interesting. Um, that was weird. some car commercials where I was like, what is this a commercial for? And at the end, there would be a car. And you're like, huh. The, an interesting one was the, um, the Kia commercial. I thought that was very interesting because it was basically a commercial about um, a small community near Atlanta but also near where I'm from, West Point, Georgia, where they're making Kias. Yeah. And it was basically just being... It, it was advertising the fact that people making Kias in rural Georgia are from a very poor area of the country, but still buy the car. The voice, the, uh, did, did you guys all see this ad? The, it was like a very depressed sounding child's voice narrating the commercial. And they're showing yep. these like low color saturation images of poverty in Georgia. And it's like, it feels very like the overall tone was very depressing and strange. And it was like, you know, everybody said we would never amount to anything basically and then they're like here's kia but here we, but we, we, we all work at this factory which is a major huge factory right off the interstate mm-hmm. anytime i fly into atlanta and drive home to alabama i pass this massive factory um i mean it's on one hand like great to be bringing jobs to the area but the fact the the weirdness was like using that as your advertising pitch it was like almost they were exploiting the poverty yeah. to advertise the car which is supposed to be alleviating the poverty but yeah it was really, so we the other, really meta. The other big theme was like commercials where like ro- it was about like robots are coming for you, but they're not human. So they can't enjoy the thing we're trying to sell you. Right. That was the theme. Sad robot uprising. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe next year they'll um, have a robot instead of Adam Levine. That would probably be for the best. That would probably yeah. be at least as exciting. More. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that's our so, rant. 
that's fine. We we are gonna have a better week next week. But how can we feel better now? I know. I have an idea. Chocolate. Chocolate. Okay. So I wanna give a better introduction to Art Pollard. Art is the founder of Amano Chocolate, a bean-to-bar chocolate manufacturer based out of Orem, Utah. Did I say that right? It is right. Yes. He makes small batch chocolate bars, and his chocolate has won countless awards, such as the gold medal at the International Chocolate Awards and gold at the London Academy of Chocolate. Plus a rave review by Massimo Batura on you heard another it here than first. Heritage Radio Network. Yes. yes. <laughs> so let's start there, Art. So... Tell us the story of how Massimo came to rave about your chocolate in Denver last year. Well, so um, we had a great opportunity to uh, exhibit at the Slow Food event. And uh, and I thought, you know, I've always been a great fan of, of Heritage Radio Network. And so I, I saw your booth. I thought, hey, we really got to do something together. So I grabbed a whole handful of bars. I came over and talked to somebody. I said, like, you got to try these bars. This is what we do. But, like, don't believe what I say. Like, taste what we do. And then you'll see that, like, we're the real deal. And then, um, and then uh, I didn't think much of it. And then I, a little bit later, a little side note, I see, if, I see somebody coming around the corner. And, and it's, um, it's uh, and I think, wow, that, that looks like my like my friend Doug Taylor, and uh, Doug's a really well known pastry chef in Las Vegas, and he cooked for you know some of the top restaurants there. And I was like, well, that looks just like him. I got to take a picture of this dude because he looks just like him. <laughs> He's got this doppelganger, <laughs> and uh, comes a little closer. No, it, it is Doug Taylor, and turns out he did he'd come he'd flown in just specifically so he could meet Massimo. Wow, and. Um, then a, a few minutes later, uh, everybody starts coming over to our booth and saying, you know, you've just got the most amazing endorsement in the entire universe. <laughs> <laughs> and that endorsement was that the chocolate that you had brought by ended up, I don't remember how exactly, we, it ended up in Massimo's hand, but I was interviewing Massimo Batura. He stopped the interview. <laughs> and, and he, yes, I think he was like hungry. I think he was genuinely hungry and we were like, all we have at our booth is, because uh, we didn't have really food around us. And we're like, here's some chocolate. Halfway through the interview, he's like, stop. Stop talking <laughs> to me and where's more chocolate? And so we had to keep like feeding him chocolate throughout the interview, which was a real godsend because yeah. I think he would have just, you know, I don't know, gone haywire without food. But he loved it. And everyone that was around then perked up and was like, let me find where this chocolate is located. And, yeah. and then it was recorded yeah, for absolutely. anyone and everyone to listen to. Uh-huh. And, and he's like, this chocolate has like, I've got a clean palate and I've got, I get like all these amazing flavors and wow, this is like an amazingly high quality chocolate. And That's I'm just, awesome. And I'm like, it doesn't get any better than that. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to really, there's not many people to strive for, for an endorsement past Massimo. This. Especially unasked. Exactly. <laughs> well, and you've saved our interview because it sounds like, he, you know, he kind of would have gone off the rails if we hadn't given him some He sugar. was. He, he was wound up that day. It was really, really fun. And, um, and the, it was like 90 oh, million yeah. degrees yeah. out, too. And I think he had probably done like seven other interviews and oh, like yeah. a demo. So, yeah, I think the chocolate was a yeah. godsend <laughs> for all of us, really, because yeah. we yeah. were melting. And uh, let me say, though, that selling chocolate at our booth 
when it's 90 plus <gasps> degrees. Mm-hmm. What did you do? How did you keep it from melting? Uh, it melted. Oh. <laughs> Chocolate sauce. Uh-huh. Yeah. Luckily, the next day was a little cooler, but yeah, yeah no, it melted. Um, so, Art, tell us about kind of the Genesis story of Amano. Wow. Um, I grew up in a little town, uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is where the National Lab is. So I grew up with a really strong uh, technical background. But, you know, New Mexico is great because you have the fusion of, like, uh, Native American cuisine, Hispanic cuisine, and Anglo. And anytime we have, like, different cultures coming together, you get really awesome food. That's why you find awesome food in, like, port cities. And so uh, I grew up being, like, this huge foodie, even though I really didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was always looking for like the ultimate in food and, and, uh, skip forward a bunch of years. I was working at my university in the physics department while I was a student. And I just said, I was eating this German chocolate bar and I said, you know, it'd be really cool to make my own chocolate. Mm-hmm. And all my coworkers who are working on nuclear projects and space shuttle getaway projects and so forth, particle accelerators. They're like, no, you can't do it. It's too hard. <laughs> How did they know? Uh, apparently, they knew more than I did. <laughs> and I, well, why is it too hard? And they said, well, you need uh, millions of dollars of machinery. And the, the, the funny thing is I'd actually started working, not as a paid thing, but um, for the university, just volunteering since I was like 12 using their machine shop, helping them build stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're like, you need millions of dollars of machinery. And I'm thinking, I can do that. Uh-huh. I can no build problem. it. Yeah, I'll, I'll just build it. I got it. And then they say, there's all these like trade secrets. And I'm like, oh, cool, research project. Reverse engineering. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can figure this out. Uh-huh. And then they're like, um, and you need really good quality cocoa beans, and those are hard to get. And I said, cocoa beans? So that's what you use? <laughs> like travel you can just yeah yeah, yeah. and then they can, i'm like where do you get good quality cocoa beans they're like well central and south america and i'm like sounds like a great place to visit I'm like, basically it. where we are right now yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm like screw it i'll go get my own you know so any obstacle immediately to you became a perk oh absolutely <laughs> it made it it made it all the more attractive wow so can you tell us about maybe some of the interim tinkering that you did in between so being 12 year old art starting off in the machine shop what were your projects before the chocolate machinery oh, I came was along? Doing stuff like building Tesla coils. Wow. And Jacob's ladders. And I had a really nice lab that I'd set up in our basement, you know, complete with like full lab grade equipment because I could buy like, you know, thousands of dollars worth of equipment, like oscilloscopes from the Los Alamos National Laboratory, you know, when they were like phasing stuff out. So I, you know, I had better equipment than most people that were, you know, far older than I was. Did you have, like, full support from your family on these projects? Uh, sometimes they really insisted I they be around so I wouldn't burn the house down. I guess that's fair. Yeah, but it doesn't, it kind of cramps your style. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of experimenting that happened when my parents weren't home. Uh-huh. Because I knew that, like, if they were home, that, you know... <laughs> It probably wouldn't happen. Uh, this really makes me think that it's either 
a like the Jimmy Neutron cartoon or like B Dexter's Lab where it's like the kid in the garage that has like a secret laboratory. Yeah. Was that much. kind of the vibe? Yeah, pretty much. Cool. cool. And that's and like the great thing about Los Alamos is like every kid down there at the time, that's how it was, you know. Wow. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's a great place to grow up because like at the time sixty five percent of the population had a PhD. Wow. wow. So, really? Yeah. That's wow. so fascinating. Is so. that the Highest saturation of education it's anywhere. Highest educated county in the country. Yeah. Wow. Still, currently. I don't. I don't know about now, but then wow. it was. And so they had like in the high school. I, d- I did high school up in Seattle, but um, in the high school they had uh, Russian taught by a Russian defector. And <laughs> they still were teaching uh, classical Greek and classical Latin. I just finished and, the Americans, and that sounds awesome. Yeah. I would love to be taught Russian by a defector. Yeah. Okay, so. You say no problem to any of these obstacles about making chocolate. How do you get started? Um, so uh, a couple years later, I got married and I went out to Hawaii for our honeymoon. And uh, I'd spent a little bit of time living out there, which is great because I got the whole wedding and reception and place to stay made with like one phone call. Nice. My friends were like, <laughs> I'll take care of it. You're, you're good. And... Um, then we were, my wife and I, we went into the Hilton Hawaiian Village, and there was a Belgian confectionery company there. They only had two outlets in the country. Um, we go in there, and all the pieces looked like gems. You know, you see a lot more of that sort of thing now, but back then it was, you know, everything was like hand-dipped in nut clusters and that sort of thing. And, and I was just like blown away by how gorgeous it was, and I tried to get them to, I'm like, how much are they? And they're like $2 a piece. And, I had 500 bucks for my wife and I for the last of the end of the week. <laughs> and so that's, and you know, everything once you get married is like twice as expensive. So the $2 it's piece is funny like how that works. $4. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then I said, I tried to get her to come down on price. Said, Do you have anything that's like about ready to expire? And she says, no, everything that expires, we have to send back to Belgium. I'm like, wow, like they're serious. This is not like play chocolate. This is the real deal. And so, uh, so I got one for me and one for my wife. And then as soon as we tasted it, it's like a whole new level, right? So as soon as I got back, I called my old boss and gave him some ideas, some different machines to keep an eye open for. And he started bringing stuff over. And then I started designing and building my own machinery. And uh, then I would, my I started a software company doing search engine development. So we'd actually write the code that does the searching. And uh, We'd have like machines in the other room making chocolate, and while we were like writing code and working out really big deals with really big companies, was it was this like an alternative to like there's sort of the stereotype, you know, the, this beverage called Soylent that is like supposed to be for this uh, busy engineer type who doesn't have time to think about food or eating, but like I, I'm thinking, okay, like cacao that is being processed at various stages would make a much better meal replacement for a bunch of software engineers who are working away did you were you guys like hyped out all the time from <laughs> well there, there too was much that chocolate but, and, like but you, theobromine overload there's that but you actually get to this point where um you know you can't you know chocolate tends to self-limit mm-hmm. and so uh you know you did, we need an amazing amount of chocolate but after a while you know you're giving it out to your friends and your neighbors and and uh and it wasn't long before like uh uh, Steve Rosenberg that runs Liberty Heights Fresh up in Salt Lake. He's like, you know, this is like uh, one of the best chocolates I've ever tasted. And I'm thinking, eh, maybe we should uh, take this a little bit further. So you 
were in New Mexico and you went to school in Seattle a little bit, but yeah. how did you end up in Utah? Uh, oh, I was um, chasing a certain female. And then uh, after I moved to Utah, then she moved away about two weeks later. Oh, <laughs> so, but what made you stay then? Uh, school. I just I signed up for a school at BYU and and uh, and then you know I set up my own you know my software company and you know after you own your own business you really don't want to move because like then you have to set up a whole new network right. Mm -hmm. So the, the machines that you talked about setting up, what actually do the machines do in the chocolate making process? So uh, so I'd roast the beans, uh, just starting off by hand, uh, just in the oven, and then. You know, for a while, I just sat there and hand-peeled them. So nothing, like, worse than getting blisters on your thumbs. Um, and so then uh, the machines I designed and built were would be do the refining and the conching, which would be, like, grinding up the beans and then um, uh, more or less aerating. That's what conching is, stirring and aerating the chocolate until you achieve the flavors that you want. But I think it was, like, through that development of the machinery and I allowed me to do like real serious experimentation as to like what develops flavor and how do you get, achieve certain flavor profiles because like if you bought a machine and you just you put your stuff in you turn it on well then it all works which is great but you never learn to have that learning process mm -hmm. and so by having your failures what you learn is the whys and uh, we that's where we learned our whys and so we're able to use those whys as to, uh, you know, achieve some pretty amazing flavor in our chocolate. Can we talk about the flavor line? Because um, you have, every time I see you, you have uh, more flavors with you. Uh, I see how many is that, like 10 different looking boxes right now. Um, yeah, so talk, yeah. about, uh, talk about your line and how you've created um, some of these kind of, like, really serious culinary chocolates wow um well every, we try to uh have a relationship with all the farmers that we get our cocoa from so there's a lot of travel involved um and there's a lot of you know most of the world's cocoa is actually not very good quality and so there's a lot of um sorting that has to be done to you know find this farmers that really know what they're doing and have you have pride you know it's about having heart um and it's not something that you can necessarily explain to somebody um but you know it when you see it and uh and some of the farmers that we work with are you know up to eight generation cocoa farmers and um i remember i was in venezuela and there was this old farmer he's probably 70 and he says you know i don't care what they pay me for my cocoa I'll always grow cocoa. I said, well, why? You don't, don't you care? He says, well, you know, I'll, I'll survive, but I love my trees. So I don't care what they pay. I love my trees. I'll always grow cocoa. And I find that really amazing. It's something that you see with the cocoa farmers is there's this connection to their trees that you just don't see, like, you never hear anybody say, you know, I'm always going to grow pineapple. I love my pineapple, you know. Mm -hmm. um, What's the lifetime of a cacao tree? Uh, I've heard of trees being several hundred years old. Wow. Um, it doesn't happen very often, and I've heard of them growing immense, you know, like three feet in diameter. But I've never seen them like that. But I know people who have. 
Um, but generally, they actually grow fairly quickly. Uh, your, um, you, if you plant, when you, from the time you plant the bean, the, now interestingly, the bean actually starts germinating from the moment it comes off the tree. And uh, you plant the bean, and then it will um, it, it'll take about three years before you start getting a little bit of uh, production and five years to your first harvest. That's pretty quick. It is pretty quick. Yeah. Do you think it's getting easier or harder to source great cocoa? Uh, it's getting easier because of the um, transportation situation. Um, but it's also something that we're losing uh, because with the transportation and modern communication, then the kids in a lot of these areas, they don't want to stay out on the farm. And so they're moving to the cities and, and maybe they're educated, maybe they're not, but you know, there's plenty of labor work, you know, like working in oil fields or what have you, um, where they can get paid more and on some levels do less work. So, you know, it's something that's going to be a problem unless we're used to paying, you know, for a higher quality uh, product. Well, why don't we take a really quick break and then we'll come back and we'll taste some of the treats that Art brought. And then um, after we taste, we'll play a little bit of trivia. There we go. Awesome. That works. We'll be right back. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome right. back to HRN Happy Hour. Um, we're here with Art Pollard from Amano Chocolate. And right now, um, we alluded to the fact that he brought a whole stack of chocolate bars, along with some other things in bags. Art, can you tell us what you brought in the bags? The bags have cocoa beans. The raw ingredient. That's Yeah, absolutely. And we get them in 70 kilo bags, and, and then we sort through them because... It's coming right from the farm, and you find all sorts of interesting things that sometimes shouldn't be there. And like what? Well, um, <laughs> some extra protein. Uh, oftentimes, it's uh, coffee or other kinds oh, okay. of grains or huh. rocks. We get a lot of rocks, oh, which, no. needless to say, are not good for our machines. They don't no, like you want to get those out of there. And um, and uh, this miscellaneous stuff. Uh, it was interesting. I was at a chocolate factory in Europe. Uh, that does like amazing amounts of, of chocolate. And I asked them once, I said, so do you ever find anything interesting? <laughs> and this place is so big, they have truck tilters. So the whole semi comes in oh, and they yeah. just open up the back doors and they tilt the truck and everything comes, you know, screaming out. And they say, yeah, we found something. We've, once we found this like giant spider. And I'm like, I, well, everybody's like horrified because they found a spider. Ugh. But for me, I'm thinking, so you're doing like this much business and the only thing you found is a spider? What does that tell you about yeah. that? How there's, many rocks have I eaten? There's that and there's like, <laughs> how much stuff have they not found? Right. Yeah. I'm like, well, I was expecting you to say like, 
a full size tree or like a person or yeah. like something really noticeable. But yeah, there's stories that a certain chocolate maker once found a pistol in their oh in her bag. See, that's that exciting. seems very yeah. plausible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like but, very plausible. But it, it's one that I I hope that they lost because that means it would have been imported illegally and right. You know, and there's you just like, never know. There's this little agency called the ATF that they don't have a sense of humor. Oh no, 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 no. Um, you also have a pod. I do have a pod. And tell us about that. Like, kind of explain well, the structure of the pod and the, the, the This pod is actually contraband. Oh. Because I smuggled it back. From Amanda, the, censor this later. The plot thickens. Yes, I, I smuggled it back from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> um, and uh, it came from a plantation that's uh, where we get our cocoa that we call, uh, chocolate we call mockeries. And it's kind of top secret which plantation it kind of comes from. But, but maybe we could try. Let's try. Yeah. Okay. As we're tasting, I have a question. Yes. Because, um, By the way, see the wrapper? Oh, yeah. Perfect. Ooh, it's sound it's effect. really here. So are each is each bar geographically specific? Yes. So talk to. I want to hear about chocolate terroir. Oh. Now, one of the interesting things, yeah, is that We can eat while we talk about yeah. it. Is that your, your cocoa literally changes flavor from location to location. And some of that's because of variety, um, but some of that's because of soil conditions. Mm -hmm. But uh, at least if, if it's good quality cocoa, um, after it's harvested, it needs to be fermented and dried. And you actually end up with flavor variations caused by the natural genetic variations in the yeast and bacteria that's involved in the fermenting process. Wait, I, I didn't, I didn't so know cool. that chocolate needed to be fermented. Yes. I did not know that. Now, your big companies like Hershey's and Mars and so forth, they kind of like skip that step. Mm -hmm. And the beans, when they come off the tree, they're like really bitter and um, tannic. And so the fermenting process, you know, tempers all that and takes it from something that's, you know very nasty and you want to spit out which is what the tree wants you to do um, to something that's actually very delicious and beautiful um, but the big companies they skip the step and so the only way to get rid of those flavors is to like over roast it and in which case it that's why some chocolate tastes like coffee is because <laughs> it's a little bit like coffee mm -hmm. huh. um, do you 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 or with a lot of people tasting your chocolate. Yeah. Do you have tasting guidelines or me or methodology for tasting the chocolate? You know, some people have these huge processes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this chewed, don't chew, smell it first, rub it between your fingers, smell it to warm it up. Um, I think that's all well and good. But you know what? Fundamentally, it's all about enjoyment. It's about love. That's why you make it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my only thing is like, just don't eat it too fast, because mm -hmm. you know, once it's in your stomach, you can't taste it anymore. <laughs> so sad. good point. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so no just, taste buds in there. Just just eat it slowly and and just savor it and whatever makes you happy, right? Yeah. Well, this is making me very happy right yeah. now. Yeah. Isn't that special? I, spent... I get like a molassesy yeah flavor in that. Yeah, there's a little bit of apricot maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very creamy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, the uh, way that it melts is yeah. really nice. It's like, yeah. it feels like it kind of, maybe it's also a perfect temperature in this room, but it kind of stayed cold in the middle, and but it melts like so smoothly. Yeah. We spent seven years negotiating for those beans. Wow. Whoa. And so, 
the farmers knew they had something special and they didn't really want to sell it to anybody. Wow. And then I, I did a trip out there once and, and uh, they took pity on me and uh, they sold me this cocoa after many years of asking. <laughs> what were they doing with it before? Uh, they had their own internal outlet for it. Mm-hmm. and uh, Or they'd take it and they'd mix it in with their other cocoa. And sell it, not segregated. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, like I say, they knew they had something special, and they wanted so they wanted it if it went anywhere to be turned into something special. What was it that made these beans so specific? Is it like the age of the tree, or just the it's personality? The, uh, or yeah, it's it's like, it's one of those things. Is that uh, it's never any one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's, you know, soil conditions, you know, variety of trees, you know, the fermentation process, and every place is a little bit different, but uh, every once in a while you find a place where everything comes together and it's all just magical, and when you taste it, then you know, and it's uh, it's not a thing that you can really describe, it's like a, it's a gut feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, when it, you know, it touches your soul. What else is in that chocolate bar besides the beans? Uh, we have uh, sugar. Good old CNH, pure cane sugar. Not from Hawaii, because there's no more sugar plantations in Hawaii. As of um, like a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Well, on Oahu, they stopped in 1995. Wow. A friend of mine, uh, Mike Conway, used to be the field manager for, for Dole there. Um, and he's a great guy. And... Uh, and then for a while, there's a there's a sugar operation out in Maui, and they just shut down a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah, really is. And then uh, what else besides sugar? Uh, cocoa butter, which is the fat that naturally is in the beans, same way that peanut oil comes from peanuts. Um, and then uh, just a little bit of vanilla, and vanilla is a, a flavor enhancer, just in the same way that like you know salt is on a, on a steak helps bring out the flavors that are just naturally present. Of course, the larger companies, they like dump vanilla in because they use really icky cocoa beans. Are they still using real vanilla? Uh, a lot of the big ones don't. Yeah. Um, which really makes me angry, actually, because it really doesn't take that much vanilla. You know, for yeah. like a big batch for us, which is like a ton, like a literal ton. Um, <laughs> An actual ton? Yeah. So when we say we have tons of chocolate at the yeah. factory, we, we have tons of chocolate. <laughs> um, but it really doesn't take that many vanilla beans. Uh-huh. And so when I look at like the overall cost to make a batch of chocolate versus the cost of the vanilla beans to like, you know, add vanilla to the chocolate, I'm just like, why are these big companies like using vanilla and, and you know, artificial mm-hmm. uh, vanilla that stuff for replacements? Beers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when... You're at that point. You're arguing like you know, pennies per you know hundred pounds sort of uh-huh. thing. You know, huh? Um, and you have a, like a, a number of flavored chocolates too. Yeah, we have a couple. Um, yeah. So can you talk through the sort of how how many of your bars are single origin, more focused on like purely the chocolate, and then how many are? We only and have, what are some of the flavors? We only have three flavored bars currently. Mm-hmm. I've got like a number that are in development, but. Um, but, are you uh, taking requests? We absolutely are. <laughs> okay. We can noted. We can talk about that after the show, so All that right. way we don't okay, give a few. A heads up. I know. Uh, okay. But, so go. You have three flavors. Yeah, we have three flavors. We have a, a mango chili, 
and we have a raspberry rose, and we have a cardamom black pepper. And uh, the cardamom black pepper is actually a flavor combination I came up with like long before we ever started Amano and I was making like chocolate in the kitchen and driving my wife like really crazy because I was a total mess. <laughs> I was like, wait, this doesn't seem like a problem if you're like making lots of chocolate. Yeah. Um, but it, I guess it was the way yes, you were Yes, yes. Well, it. my wife's Japanese, so like, like cleaning, it's like a genetic thing, I think. <laughs> and so... Like, you know, you've seen, like, these hoarder TV shows? Uh-huh. Those are, like, copies of Japanese shows. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, well, there's, like, that. there's that's that's Marie Kondo. Great yes. Japanese TV shows. Yes. Yeah. So, like, cleaning is, like, a very Japanese thing, and my mm. wife, like, epitomizes that. Mm. So when I make a mess in the kitchen, which I do frequently, then, um, well, it's not appreciated. I see. I yes. can't yes. imagine. <laughs> um, should we try one more, and then we'll, yes. we'll let, hop let, on let's, trivia? Let's try our Dos Rios, which actually comes from... More or less the same, set, the same area, but we're talking about the fermentation of the cocoa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is fermented differently. This is okay. we actually have an exclusive on these beans. Oh, cool! And um, and what you'll notice is that they're super floral. Tastes like bergamot, orange, and lavender, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of blueberry. And this is like naturally present in the in the beans themselves. It smells like blueberry. Yes. Hmm. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. And this is actually um, the favorite chocolate at a little restaurant just outside of London called the Fat Duck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they've used it uh, there for uh, a number of like, you know, special events. Mm. And so we would, we would find ways to get it to them, even though we have like, no distribution in, in the UK yet. Um, but That's amazing. Really good. Do you make any chocolates for savory uses that like don't have sugar or much sugar uh not exactly i mean all, all our chocolates are all 70 percent mm-hmm. um but uh usually what you can do that if it's 70 percent, that's the amount of cocoa that comes from the bean which also means that that's 30 percent sugar so if you look at your recipe you can just if there is sugar in your recipe you can just reduce it by that amount mm-hmm. and uh, then everything comes out just hunky-dory mm-hmm. oh. um so have and have you done like savory cooking with chocolate or cacao? Or oh cocoa? yes, yeah. What this little things where like where has that gone? Moles, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and of course a little bit of uh, chocolate in your uh, chili mm-hmm. goes a long ways. Just a hint. If you add too much, it doesn't really work. But if you add just a hint, it adds a whole level of flavor complexity. That by the way, I'm opening cocoa beans. You hear that? <laughs> Another sound effect. Uh huh. We're gonna bank that one. Yeah. Um. And, oh, I just had a question about the savory element. It just went out of my head. I'm just fascinated by that. I and, I worked for a restaurant group at one point that would do some savory chocolate, or basically a whole chocolate dinner where it was coursed. And only the last course of, like, five would have a sweet component, but every course had chocolate in it somehow. Yeah. Mm. And in most of the uh, cocoa-growing countries, that's how chocolate is, is seen as, as, as a savory. Right. Um, as in uh, Chihuahua, Venezuela, where they have literally, like, cocoa that's legendary mm-hmm. and uh, they brought out this uh it's basically a stewed meat dish with a chocolate sauce over it it's yeah. absolutely f- amazingly phenomenal i remembered my question my mind yes. was momentarily erased by the dos rios chocolate yeah. which was it does really have a habit of doing experience. that um my question was uh kind of on your on your scientific and tinkering side the the fruit of the cacao tree is notoriously 
uh, quick to spoil. And like you said, it starts germinating as soon as it comes off the tree. So um, cacao fruit fresh is not a thing that most people in the U.S. have been able to experience. Um, Does your tinkering side ever think about like ways of maybe creating a little bit of shelf life of cacao fruit product? Mm -hmm. Yes. Because I want you to do that. I don't yes. know if that came through in my question. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it, I, I got this uh, vibe thing, uh-huh. and I was kind of <laughs> noticing that that's where you're going. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's, uh, it's actually something that uh, we're, we're working on. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad so, to hear that. Um, so, you know, hopefully it's something we can get to uh, come together. Um, but if not, I have a whole uh, enjoyable time doing some experimenting along the uh-huh. way. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to be in the loop about that. Okay. Also, uh, my next perishable fruit request is um, cashew fruit. So oh. uh, if it could, it probably use some <laughs> similar technology. Yeah. I'm just going to send you a whole list. Consider this your assignment. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm your sensing homework a... for our next visit to HRN <laughs> yeah. is helping us get some Tropical exotic fruits. fruits. You know, this, this is a little scary because I'm sentencing some... Um, Challenges. Uh, well, I, I heard that those don't this whole deter you. That thing are you up to it? <laughs> yeah, you might have a whole nother life unfolding. So um, I just peeled some uh, beans of our Dos Rios. Oh, cool! And so what's going to be really awesome is you can actually taste the Dos Rios beans. And and um, I've actually had this other dude whose name shall be unmentioned that actually accused us of like putting flavoring in the beans what yeah wow how it, and why would you do that i wouldn't do that and uh, yeah mm. and um mm. but as you as you taste these beans you know mm. you can see that like mm. the beans taste pretty much like the chocolate yeah they do yeah. they're yeah. fruity a tiny yeah. bit like smokier mm-hmm. yeah and so um mm-hmm. the, it was actually we had to develop a whole new set of uh, processes in order to be able to keep those flavors there because that that whole floral component is something that's like very uh it evaporates very mm-hmm. easily mm-hmm. and so volatile. yeah it's very volatile mm-hmm. so uh mm. we had to develop a whole set of new processes in order to be able to process it without losing those things that really make it special cool well art before we move on to trivia yeah which as you may have guessed is chocolate themed trivia <laughs> Where can people learn more about Amano chocolate? At uh, this little website, www.amano, A-M-A-N-O, chocolate.com. Or listen to, go to HRN on tour and search for Massimo Batura and hear him talk about Amano. Absolutely. <laughs> in case we haven't convinced you yet, yeah. let the best chef in the world. Hear yes. me try to get through an interview with Massimo when he's distracted by how good the chocolate is. Yes. <laughs> okay. So yes, our trivia is about chocolate. But not about chocolate itself, but about how chocolate appears in pop culture. Okay. So, first question. And uh, you can get some help from the rest of the team. Yeah, none of us have never. The they haven't seen the answers. Okay. Question number one. In the 1971 film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, what's the name of the German boy who falls into a pool of liquid chocolate? Wasn't it Augustus? Yes. Gloop. Augustus yeah. Gloop. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, yes. Our, our ding, ding, ding's broken. Amanda told me so. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, that's the... Yeah, yeah. I came in and she was like, you're going to have to do it manually. Yeah. I was it. talking to the wall. Okay, we'll do it manually. And mm-hmm. that's what I was referring to. Oh. It's our I buzzer. Understand. Yep. Everyone was like confused. I was talking to myself. All right, question number two. Speaking of Willy Wonka, 
Who wrote the book the movie's based on? Road Doll. That's right. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> You're um, good at that, cat. One of my favorite. I, I devoured like every Roald Dahl book as a Me kid. Too, Just yeah. the best. All right. Question number three. In one episode of Seinfeld, Jerry and Kramer observe an operation. Kramer happens to bring with him a box of chocolate candies to the viewing. In the climax of the episode, he drops one of the candies into the operating table where it ends up being sewn up inside the patient. Can you tell me what candy that was? <laughs> you know he, what? I we're spent... trying to do photo Fred, but I think the friends are uh, also <laughs> not sure. <laughs> when you spend as much time like doing the laboratory thing as I do, um, <laughs> I missed a lot of Seinfeld episodes, as awesome as they were. I also haven't seen much Seinfeld. I have, but I don't remember. I saw a lot of it as a very small child. I'll give you a Can hint. Can you give us a hint about like the melting point? Like, well, I'll, well, I'll give you a hint about <laughs> the chocolate. It's, it's a candy that has chocolate, a very thin chocolate oh. exterior, and the middle oh, is wait. a white color. Oh, it's Junior Mints. That's it. Oh, there we ding, go. Ding, ding. It's hard to do the ding, ding, ding. It feels <laughs> weird. You're doing a great job. Thank you. All right, question number four. Harry Potter is introduced to the chocolate treats of the wizarding world when he opens up a package containing this chocolate candy. It's a little hard to eat, though, because it's a piece of chocolate that looks and acts like what animal? Do we get a phone of Brandon Serena? Like, oh, wait. No, I think I know. I know. I know. Wait. Do you know it? It's a frog. It's a frog. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. They hop. They hop. They hop away. You have to eat them quickly. It's squirrely. Yeah, now that you say that, now I kind of actually remember it. (laughs) Have you seen or read any Harry Potter? I have watched the movies with my kids, but I have not read any. The books are great. Can you believe that those are as old as they are? Are they 10 years or more than 10 years? They've got to be more than that. I think they might be 20 years old or like something crazy. Yeah. To me, they seem more recent than that. I was always a Tolkien guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I'd like start missing the characters, so I'd have to like read it all over again Mm -hmm. because like I missed Frodo. Well, small tangent, they have a huge Tolkien exhibition at the Morgan Library right now. Oh, cool. So if you have extra time, you should check it out. It's all like Tolkien's original art, like hand painted. I have a friend of mine, and she was like one of his students in college. (gasps) Wow. And she said he was the most boring teacher that she ever had. Not surprised. (laughs) He put all his creativity into the book. Well, absolutely. (laughs) He didn't have any more. No, I mean, like, I'm sure that he he did the whole thing so that way he could invent languages. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know. All right. So be inside of that brain. This is the last question. This is the one that I wrote. Kevin wrote the rest. This is me. (laughs) You might be able to tell. Um, The British pop rock band, the 1975, has a well-known song called Chocolate. The song is actually about fleeing the police in a boring small town. In the song, chocolate is a euphemism. For what? (laughs) What well, would you, this certainly uh, isn't Alice's restaurant. This is our stuffed <laughs> face. What would you be? What would you have on you that you need to? You would need to flee the police for. Is it like? Well, a lot of like so many things, cat. It's small towns. Cops are bored. Um, that you need to flee the police. Like the police are pursuing you because of your possession of this thing. Yeah. It's a drug. Is it? Oh, it's. I was gonna say, is it drugs? Uh, it's a drug. It's a drug. It's a certain drug. Cash. Uh, 
<laughs> I'll give it to you. Wait, okay. Weed, like oh. no, cannabis, whatever. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Ding, ding. Well done, Art. I never knew that song was about that. I thought it was about what, chocolate. What are the clues in the song? Um, well, they're British, so they they they're singing about like having guns under their petticoats, and then like <laughs> things smell like chocolate. They like their hair smells like chocolate, and the car smells like chocolate. And really, what they're uh, saying is the car smells like weed. Do you want to know what weed doesn't smell like? Chocolate. Chocolate. Agree. <laughs> Hard agree. This is like a, a weird twist on Super Troopers or something like. We tried to watch Super Troopers the other day, and I one or two, one. I did not get it. But you did. I mean, I went to college in Vermont, so Super Troopers is like too real. I could see that. Um, but I have not seen Super Troopers no. two yet. Yet it was a weird vibe. I'm sure it's going to be just a stellar piece of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> the first one definitely is. Um, well, okay, that was probably the most delicious happy hour ever. I agree. Yeah. I think so. Um, I feel like I'm still getting the wonderful blueberry from yeah. Dos Rios. I might have some more. So I, know, so I, I have to ask, though. Was Massimo right? Yes. Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. About everything, but especially about the chocolate. Okay. When in doubt, we, we agree with Massimo. Okay. But not in doubt on this. Yeah, this is a lot of certainty and... Um, Very delicious. I think that our, our judgments will, will align favorably... Um, also, we'll we'll um, hopefully like be able to do a reunion at Slow Food Denver. Oh, absolutely! Will be there? I'll be there. Yeah, we'll be there. So um, we will hope for slightly cooler temperatures, um, but yes. also this time we'll interview you, too. and Massimo has to bring you food. Oh, we could do that. It's only fair. You down? Yes. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Massimo is going to be there again, but. We should we'll have him out. send something. We can yeah. see what we can do to get somebody to arrange that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe he can like ship something. Mm-hmm. To the worst case scenario, but I think it's only fair that we turn the tables um, and that he give you something to critique on air. Yeah. And you know where you can find that interview with Massimo is uh, on the Hall of Fame page. That's, That's true. Right. Yeah. yeah, Massimo is Massimo's in our January inductees. So if you go to heritageradionetwork.org/slash Hall of Fame, go to Massimo Botura. You can hear all about Art's Chocolate there as well. Yes. Thank you, Art. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you for, for the treats. Chatting well, and bringing the most delicious chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're while we're ending things, we all just pass this one more thing around. All right. Our we're raspberry twist rose. Arms. Oh, yeah. This is dessert. It's, it's based on uh, Pierre Hermes' uh, uh, cake called Intense, Ooh. which I swore the first time I ever ate one. If someone was going to pick out one of your chocolates to have on Valentine's Day, which I know is cliche, don't hate me for asking this question, but what would be a, the best Valentine's Day chocolate? The raspberry rose. The one we're having right now. Mm. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll test oh, it out. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's with our that, show. We're going to end show. on the most peaceful note we ever had. I'm talking with my mouth full of chocolate. Mm. Our, it's our, delicious. Thank you for being our guest oh, today. Absolutely. On Happy Hour. This has been fun. Mm. So good. Guys, we need to eat chocolate we'll see you next thursday yeah that's our show thanks katie thanks hannah thanks cat thanks amanda thanks thank you art thanks for being and serena Serena, who has been hiding here the whole time (laughs) but we're gonna call you out anyway silent guest all right we'll see you next week bye Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.